It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome in, everybody, to episode 188 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Aratora Sports Podcast. Great couple weeks of shows. If you missed it earlier this week, the return of Arkansas head coach Eric Musselman. Really fun interview where really we actually really didn't talk much basketball. We talked about philosophy. We talked about coaching style. We talked about a lot of different things. Last week, last week was Kirk Herbstreet. The week before was Bob Stoops. And later in the show, no guest on the back end. I actually do the second College Hoops mailbag. I answer a bunch of questions on Indiana, on Kentucky versus Michigan State to open the year, and a few other things. Also, my preseason top 25 came out. But I figured on the front end, rather than me just rambling on for 45 minutes about how great this slate of college football is, as well as some College Hoops stuff, I'd bring my old buddy, the Professor Emeritus, Nick Coffey, Seven to ten, what is it? Seven to ten, dude, it's been so long. Are you, what are you, seven to ten Eastern, 790 KRD? I always forget. That's right, seven to ten Eastern, 790 KRD, which those of you listening, uh, if you're not in the area, you can always find it on iHeartRadio. We are a proud iHeartRadio affiliate. Okay, well, so 790 KRD, 710, Nick Coffey's back. Uh, he's still, you know, like I said, He's still got a seat in the, uh, you know, at the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast table. So I appreciate Nick you coming on. Uh, I, I haven't wanna... sold all my stock yet. What you sold? What are you, what are you selling any stock? What do you mean you're selling stock? I'm not selling any stock. I'm just like, you know, I'm still I'm still an active partner here in this uh, in this whole. Uh this whole uh, situation. Listen, first of all, you are an active partner. For people that are newer to the show, Nick used to join me every single episode. And what ended up happening was, you know, you get older, life comes at you fast, and Nick had to start getting up like a big boy at, what, 4.30 a.m. every day. And, oh, that's uh, right, man. Yeah, we couldn't do it every day. But you're back periodically, and I always appreciate it. And I'm, we're going to get to some college football in a second. Great slate of games. Like I said, rather than me blabbing on for 15 minutes about Texas, Oklahoma, or Florida, LSU, or whatever, thought it'd be fun to bring on Nick. Before we get to it, uh, college hoop season not that far away. I put out my top 25 today. On the back end of the show, I'm going to have my college hoops mailbag. But you, you're Mr. ACC. You, you were rubbing elbows with Coach K and Roy Williams this week, weren't you? Yeah, I was down in Charlotte for what they called the ACC Operation Basketball, which I'm not sure what? why they call it that. That's but They're awful. very serious about their branding. That's a really lame name, but essentially it's the ACC Basketball Media Day, and it was a it was a cool experience. It was actually one of my first trips to ACC country, and that's certainly what it was. But uh, it was an awesome experience. Got me really excited uh, for some ACC basketball this year. But it is a league that, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but. It's uh, it, the league is is it's tricky this year with as far as the structure because 
you've got about four teams that I think are believed to be pretty solid, but even those four teams have um, some legit question marks. And then you kind of just have a bunch of other teams that nobody really knows if they're going to be any good. And I think if, you, if you're honest with yourself, you probably would assume they're not going to be very good. So uh, it's kind of wide open, uh, but nonetheless, it was a cool experience just to kind of be in the uh, – in the, in, in the, it was at the Marriott downtown, which I think previously they would do it in Marina in Charlotte. For some reason, they couldn't do that this year. So it was in a really tight space, which made it kind of overcrowded. So when you'd go to get a drink or you'd go to talk to an SID about an interview on Radio Row, like you were, like I, I bumped into Andy Katz, I bumped oh. into Roy Williams, and it wasn't intentional. That's just how kind of tight we are. So it was a cool experience. It definitely got me excited for college hoop season, which, as you alluded to, is uh, right around the corner. Big time. So. I will say this about the ACC, and I don't want to ruin too much of the back end of this show. It's funny because I remember uh, in the springtime when when the coaching changes happened all that stuff, you and I kind of had the conversation about, like, ACC fans are going to get mad about this, but if you go first to last, 1-14, to I think the ACC technically has 15 teams, the SEC is kind of running laps around the ACC in terms of the coaching category. And I bring it up because... It's exactly what you said. Is like I, so. I, I did my SEC preview uh, today, and I'm going to tell you we're recording here on Wednesday. I think the top three are pretty clear. I think it's Kentucky, Florida, LSU, and then after that, everybody has dudes. Like even Missouri has guys coming back, and Arkansas must. You know they have I think six of their top seven scores or five of their top six scores coming back. Uh, Tennessee obviously has guys. Alabama, Auburn. And then I contrast that with the ACC, and you're right, Nick. Like, okay, I'm not saying this to gas you up, but Louisville, I think, is by far the best team in that conference. And then you look at everybody else, and it's like, yeah, we love North Carolina because of Roy Williams, but they lose their top five scorers off of last year. Virginia lost the three guys that really made that title team go. And I think the top five-ish or so is pretty good in the ACC. I would include, obviously, Louisville, Duke, UNC, Virginia, and then I would include NC State, and it's not because Kevin Keats is a friend of this show. They basically bring back everybody. But you get past that, man. It's like Virginia Tech, they lost everybody, including their coach. Syracuse lost everybody. Georgia Tech stinks. Boston College stinks. Pitt stinks. Uh, I'm blanking on who else. But the point I'm trying to make, the ACC, you were there, but you said it is like I, I feel like we spend so much time talking – the, the Blue Bloods, North Carolina and Duke and Louisville and Virginia, you get past, I think, that top five or six, man. I think it's it's pretty, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know how I'm feeling about Georgia Tech and uh, Boston College coming into this year, if you know what I'm saying. Well, I think more than anything, it's, it's top-heavy. Like I think this league is actually always really top-heavy, but the second tier is always also a conversation. Yes. You know, I think last year Lowell was kind of in that second tier with some other teams like Florida State, who eventually emerged and was actually really good. But there's just no certainty that there's going to be any team kind of like that this year. What I found to be really telling was that when you were talking to different folks that don't necessarily cover one team specifically, but they're there to kind of just talk objectively, a lot of the, as you would expect with the ACC Network launching, there was a ton of folks there. They hired Carlos Boozer. He was there making his rounds. Mm. Uh, Dalen Cuff. I mean, it was loaded with guys from the ACC network, and they're really struggling to bring up that second tier. They keep throwing out names like, well, maybe Florida State. You know, Leonard Hamilton's always kind of surprising people. And look, every year there is a team that is better than most expected. In fact, Mike Bray's team's gotten some some love uh, this week in Charlotte. But really, I mean, 
there's no, I mean, you could really pick, pick your, pick your pick, right? There's like probably eight teams where you could try to find a way to convince yourself that they're going to be the quote unquote surprise team. But a lot of teams that were bad last year, they're bringing back kind of the same team. So I guess the hope for that is really just that these guys improve, which could happen. But I do, I don't know. As much as I'm excited for it and I was happy to be there, it kind of just felt like a whole hump year to be there because the team I cover, and clearly I'm, 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 I try to be objective, but I'd like to see Louisville do well. And I think they're clearly, they have the ingredients more so than any other team. Obviously, Duke brings back Trey Jones. I think Matthew Hurt and uh, the other big freshman they've got. Uh, Vernon Carey. What is his name? Yeah, Vernon Carey. Like, Duke's going to be good. In fact, I think Duke will probably end up being the preseason number one team just by the votes. In fact, I was sitting on radio earlier and I just looked around at everybody there and I just thought to myself, yeah, there's no way Duke or Carolina is not going to end up getting all the votes to be preseason number one or two because well, it's ACC country. But nonetheless, Virginia, if Mamadi Dikite is supposed to be the guy that gets them back to being a contender, I, yep. I just don't believe it. He's a fine player, but they've lost. I mean, the three guys, Tony Bennett raved about the three guys they lost, and that's why I think Virginia was much different than the normal Virginia because guys like Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome and DeAndre Hunter, they'd gone through what they went through the year before. And Virginia's still going to be good. They're going to be a tough out. In no way am I saying they're fraudulent, but they're not, to me, going to be close to what they were last year. And then, of course, North Carolina, I know Cole Anthony is going to be the talk of the league as far as the freshman, and I think he's really good, but they've lost a ton. And honestly, Roy doesn't do great with these kind of teams. So, I, I left. I had a long drive home. I stopped in Knoxville halfway there on Tuesday night, and I'm trying to kind of bring myself down to to um, you know being objective. But I just think Louisville on paper, and again, it's on paper. Chris Mack joined me on my show and made it clear that nothing's been proven. They haven't done anything yet. In fact, last time they went out there and played, they were a team that had a tough time closing out games. That Duke loss from a year ago still haunts them. But he, you know, went straight up asking him. Do you have a team that you you know how good can you guys be? And he said, you know, we've got we've got the talent, we've got the experience, we just have to put it all together. So I'm kind of at a, in a weird spot because I'm normally the last to be fanboy, as some UK fans like to call me, cardboy. But I left there thinking Louisville's got the best team. They do. I, I don't even think it's a debate. And and I said this on the back end of the show. I, listen, it, it has nothing to do with anything other than you look at the rosters and there's a ton of question marks everywhere else. I mean, North Carolina, just as an example, everyone talks about, oh, you know, uh, whatever. They, they, I don't think people realize, like, Kobe White was a top 10 pick. Cam Johnson was a lottery pick. Luke May was a consistent guy for four years in that program. Uh, Nasir Little played, and one other guy, I think maybe Kenny Williams, I forget who, somebody else, they lost their top five guys. And it's like, yeah, I get it. Cole Anthony's awesome, but that's a lot to replace. And by the way, the other thing too, which with North Carolina and with some of these other programs that I, I've been very vocal about, I don't buy the grad transfer transferring up that averaged 17 points a game in some league that you've never heard of having success. And like North Carolina is relying on those guys this year. It's funny like Cam Johnson, well, he's a grad transfer. It's like, yeah, he played at Pitt. Like Pitt's a, an ACC team. He was a top 150 recruit coming well, out of high school, well, and he had stars around him too. You yep. know, he didn't have to be the. He wasn't the only. He wasn't the focal point night in and night out. Yeah. So in my my preseason top ten, I had Louisville three, Duke six, and then I think I had Carolina like 15, Virginia 20. I just don't buy anybody other than Louisville. I don't think. You, listen, I don't think you're being a homer. Um, I've seen Louisville as low as like six or seven in some of these polls. I have them at number three. I have them behind Kentucky just because I do like Kentucky. I like the pieces that they have. 
I think you can make a legitimate case they should they could be number two behind Michigan State. Uh, but we got plenty of time to talk about that. Real quick, were you able to rub elbows with our boy Tony Bennett? Because I, I, if you do, I'm jealous. I might have to kick you off the air here. Uh, you know I'll me. I'll tell you what, man. Uh-oh. I've got a really cool Tony. Well, it's not a cool story. It's an embarrassing story from my end. But um, you and I, I think might have watched the most long we could be talking about the story about Bennett yeah. turning that money and how it, I, it, it should be so easy for me to dislike him because as a Louisville fan, he has he owns Louisville and. He's never, you know, he, he should play the villain role because I'd appreciate that more, but he always actually makes it hard for me to dislike him. So I've always been kind of a fan from afar. And on Tuesday night, I get, I'm sorry, Monday night, I get to Charlotte and um, I'm at the hotel where, where everything's going on. It's the night before they've already got everything set up. Uh, and I'm walking out of the of the lobby out on the street to walk across uh, the street to, to get some dinner. And I'm as I'm walking towards the exit, um, Andrew Lentz, who is the U of L University of Louisville basketball um, assistant AD, he's there. I know him pretty well. He and I are big Colts fans. We're actually celebrating on Monday night. The yeah. Colts knocking off the Chiefs. So um, he's walking in with Chris Mack, Jordan Morris, TV knocking, and Chris Mack's daughter Haley. So we end up. Uh, Kind of just, I stopped to talk to them for a few. Chris Mack asked if I'd gotten back to uh, to full health after really hurting myself. Really not hurting myself, Uh-oh. but at his fantasy camp, I just really made a fool of myself, and I was sore for like weeks. But nonetheless, <laughs> we're sitting there talking, going back and forth, and um, Tony Bennett walks in, and Chris and I are talking, and Chris says, "Hey, Tony, what's up?" And I'm thinking, Tony, is he talking about Tony Bennett? Oh, and sure no. enough, I turn around. Tony Bennett drops his bags, walks over to uh, shake Chris's hand. He's like, hey, how you doing? Of course, seems like the nicest guy there. So here I am sitting there um, in the lobby, and I'm, I'm I'm just a guy. And, of course, it's Mac, Aura, Enoch, Tony Bennett's saying hello. All the so big names I just in college say, hoops. Coffee, hey. too. Yeah, so I say, hey, Chris, all right, man, I'll see you in the morning because Chris was meant to come on with me at 9, 10 in the morning. So, um he said, well, tell me good for Nick to win. I said, none. And he's like, all right, man, I'll see you then. So I kind of just excused myself from the conversation. Why? Because I felt awkward that I'm not, well, what was I going to say? You're rubbing but elbows with royalty. You should have just. Yeah, I, I, I should have been more comfortable just to kind of sit there and act like I belong. But I felt no, like I was like I felt like I was interrupting Chris Mack from talking to Tony Bennett the way he wanted to. So sure. anyways, I excused myself. I walk across the street, kind of sitting there thinking like, man, I probably hope I didn't make that awkward. Well, then later on. I'm back in the lobby. I am checking the schedule for Radio Row because they kept changing it. And it, the, the lobby's this is like probably 10 o'clock at night. The lobby's kind of just filled with a bunch of people that are there for the, the, the event. And then occasionally you'll see a coach or a player. It's a lot of people who are, of course, there representing some of the schools. And sure enough, Tony Bennett's there. And he's with, I'm assuming, maybe like his SID or somebody that's with him. And we're like, I don't know, 10 feet from each other. And... <laughs> This is really embarrassing, but I guess because he saw me with Mac earlier, he thought like maybe I don't know, I don't know what he thought, or maybe he's just a genuinely nice guy. Is, yeah. So we're standing there, and he and I make eye contact, and I'm, what, what am I gonna say? Sure. So Tony Bennett walks up to me. It's not as if he like walked across the room. He just like slightly moved over and said, "Hey, how you doing? <laughs> I'm Tony." And <laughs> so I say, "Yeah, I know," and I shake his hand. And then I didn't. I should have said, "I'm Nick Coffee. Nice to meet you, Tony." But I just kind of froze and said, "Like I know who you are." And I just felt like I really made it awkward. I don't know if Tony Bennett would have ever given me any scoop, or we we could have been. If we could have had a drink together that night, I'm not sure. But here he was, just as nice as as can be. And I just felt like it. The next morning on my show, Aaron, I said, 
maybe that's maybe like maybe this guy's so arrogant he felt like he like does he really need to introduce himself to me? He knows that I know who he is. What a jerk! But then again, that was me just trying to find reasons to dislike this guy when he makes it so hard to do. Um, so look, he's he was great, and uh, I've embarrassed myself. I should have just been comfortable. Should have been myself. I'm not an awkward guy. But I don't know. I just because I guess I have a crush on him or something. I don't know. First of all, I'll say this: um, I, he's one one of these guys. I really actually don't know him like personally. I've never met him. Never you know outside of press conferences. Never spent time with him. I really just think he is like genuinely that nice. Like he was actually on John Rothstein's podcast like two or three weeks ago, and I listened to it recently. And every answer was like, they're like, "Oh, what does it mean to win a national championship?" And every answer was like. Well, golly, you know, it's just I'm just I it's it's about the players and the community and whatever. And like uh, every answer was like the the most perfect answer that you could possibly get. Like this guy is way 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 too nice. By the way, I will tell you this. I don't think he was being arrogant. I don't think he was being cocky. Of course he was. He was being nice. Yeah, I'll tell you th- this story reminded me of so when I I obviously I work at Fox and when I worked, you know, I did at, at a time, I worked primarily at the TV network FS1, and so the green room, there'd be all kinds of people, you know, you just, you never know who you're going to run into, like Terry Bradshaw, Oscar De La Hoya, uh, Matt Leinert, whoever, and I remember probably about three or four years ago now, but uh, turning the corner into the green room, well, first of all, I remember one time I turned a corner and Frank Thomas almost literally ran me over. There's a reason they call that man the big hurt. He is a massive human being. But but then there was another time uh, where I walked in the green room and there's only one person and he goes, uh, oh, hey, man, nice to meet you. I'm, I'm Alex. And it was Alex Rodriguez. So uh, he, uh, wow. yeah, he did the same thing. And I'm like, yeah, I know who the fuck you are, bro. Like, you're, you know, like, whatever. I like A-Rod. I used to be a baseball guy when I was a kid. But I think, listen, I, I think it's a natural reaction to like, I, I don't, the point I'm trying to make, he wasn't doing it to be cocky, and I know you were kind of saying that tongue-in-cheek, but I had the exact same experience with Alex Rodriguez where it was like his first day at Fox, and he was nervous, like first day of school, doesn't know who's who, doesn't know what to say, and like, he, you know, I turned the corner, and he's the only one in the green room. He's like, oh, I'm Alex. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm Aaron, man. Nice to meet you. And, you know, like, I, like you did. I Well, you handled it better. You at least introduced yourself and made it cl- – I just was I, – I, I think I, th- I thought he was going to be like, hey, how you doing? Um, you know, b- might ask about me or who I am, and he just introduced himself as if if, if, if he was some stranger. I think that's what kind of just caught me off guard. And so he's so uh, the next day he was just making his rounds, and there was actually I think a there was a woman from I believe she was from Winston Salem worked in TV, but she was a Virginia grad, and she introduced himself uh, to Tony. And, and honestly, I was eavesdropping, like I was just around. That was how t- it, it, they won't have it where they had it this year because it was way there was not enough space at all. In fact, there was a light turnout; it was way too crowded. So I just end up hearing her say, "Hey, uh, I just want to let you know I'm a Virginia grad. Uh, I was so happy to see you guys win it all last year. You know, uh, go who's or whatever." And she mentioned how much she loved watching Cal Guy, DeAndre Hunter, and uh, Ty Jerome. And Tony Bennett said, "I'm just so happy God let me cross their path." <laughs> and I'm just like, "Goodness gracious, I'm dude! Sorry. Come on!" I shouldn't laugh. Isn't that still on brand for Tony Bennett? It is. It is. And I shouldn't laugh because 
there are people that take religion very seriously. I'm not one of them. Oh, I hope we're not laughing at the religion. It's yeah. just like it's just so hilariously him being on brand. Like, yeah. That was like every answer that he gave on John Rothstein's podcast, though, and you could tell it was all so legitimate. That was the part that drove me crazy. They're like, yeah, you know, uh, that buzzer beater that you had to beat Purdue, blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, you know, I just I, I couldn't help but think about Matt Painter, and it, yeah, I, I wasn't able to sleep that night. I just I was so worried about how he was handling it. I called him that night, and I'm like, bro, grab a beer. You just made the Final Four. Pour some champagne on your head. That's what I would do. I'd say, screw Matt Painter. Well- Look, the, the league is top-heavy for sure, and the coaches are top-heavy. Yeah. Later on in the afternoon, I, I saw, and I should have grabbed a picture. It would have been really cool, but it was Bayheim, Williams, Kay, and Bennett just kind of not huddled up, but kind of the four of them. The cool just kids chatting, table, yeah. Probably just, probably just bitching about all the questions they're getting about image and likeness and that kind of stuff. And it just hit me, wow, those are, those are the top dogs of the league. I mean, I think you could probably throw – Mike Bray is kind of one of the OGs. And then you've got the young coaches that people like. Like I mean, you know, Leonard Hamilton's not young, but I think he's a respected coach for sure. the most part. And then you look at Keats and Mack and those guys, and clearly they're not on the level of those legends, but they're looked at to be good coaches. Then you have everybody else. Do you know who Mike Young is? I think that's – is that the that's right his name? name? That's his name, the new Virginia Tech coach. New Virginia yes, Tech. Yes, well, see, you're much better than I am. So – this was. I, I mean, he is, could literally I, I be sitting in my, my apartment show. right now, and I wouldn't know who he. I, I like. Okay. I don't know him by face. I just know the name. But don't give me too much credit. Is the point? I was. I told the story on my show this morning that, I, and I don't, I don't do it to make fun of him because he might be a great coach, and he. I'm sure he's a qualified candidate. But right after seeing those four huddled up, and I'm just thinking, man, that got some legends here today. And it was honestly, not to be corny, but like it was it was one of those things where I'm like, wow, this is a really cool experience. I'm glad I get to be here to cover it. Well then, like fifteen minutes later I go to the bathroom and I'm washing my hands and the guy next to me like can't find the the, the soap dispensers <laughs> like on his end it's not it's not working. So I'm like well, you know, maybe you should calm down, like it's not a big deal, but he's clearly really frustrated. So I'm thinking like Kind of what an asshat! Like, what's what's wrong with this guy? Well, sure enough, forty minutes later, I'm sitting in my spot on Radio Row. Oh, and he's making yeah. his rounds, and the dude who was pissed off about the soap was the head coach of Virginia Tech. I didn't know who the <laughs> hell he was. It was just one of those things where I'm just, it just hit me. Like, you know what? There are the the legends like Kay Williams, Bennett, and Bayheim. If you if you want to throw him in there too, and then there are Jim Christian. And um, you know, if uh, Brad Brownwell didn't have his polo on, I wouldn't know who he was. So. There's a huge gap, I think, in teams, but also uh, the coaches. Whereas, not to not to get sidetracked here, but going back to our conversation we had not long ago, the SEC might not have the legends like those I just mentioned, but they have a pretty good, pretty good load of depth. If you know what I mean, like there's really not. I mean, who's the worst SEC coach in the league? Maybe the guy who might not even be bad. We just don't know yet. Is Jerry Stackhouse, right? I mean, they kind of. Like, who's the worst coach in that league? I honestly can't think of who, who stands out as the guy who's bad. All right, so actually, because I wrote the SEC preview today, I have this information available. They have six head coaches who've been to a Final Four. John Calipari, Bruce Pearl, Rick Barnes, Tom Crean, he went with Marquette, Frank Martin, and Ben Howland. They have eight who have been to the Elite Eight, so those six plus Buzz Williams and Mike White. And then another two who who have been to the Sweet 16, which are Quanzo Martin and Eric Musselman. So 10 out of 14, if that math is correct, have been to at least the Sweet 16. Um, the other two, so the other ones, Nate Oates, who basically took Buffalo into the top 15 all last year. And that was a hot hire. I mean, that was a yeah. That was maybe one of the 
that that hire got graded out probably as good as any in the offseason. 100%. Kermit Davis, who took Ole Miss to the tournament in, in his first season, which was like one yeah. of the best coaching jobs that nobody talks about. And Stackhouse. Well, and he was, I mean, and he was just phenomenal where he was beforehand. Like, if he's in the conversation of being one of the worst coaches in your league, that speaks highly of your league. Yeah, I'm missing one guy here now that I'm looking at it. But the point is, is that at that ten of them have been to at least a sweet Gary Stackhouse. But did, did, I mean, was you were you including him or missing somebody else outside of him? I'm missing somebody else outside of him. Let me see if I can figure this out really, really quick on the fly here. It's gonna drive me crazy. Too. Oh, Will Wade! How could I forget Will yeah. Wade? I mean, technically, I mean, he's sort of been to a Sweet 16. He wasn't actually coaching. I don't know if he counts. So if you include Will Wade, that's 11. I would, out of, say, I would say counts. Yeah, I mean, he was watching from home like you and I, but close enough. You know, I mean, he recruited the team. Well, that's his team, you know. Yeah. He might have paid for it, but that's his team. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know how he recruited him. I don't know all the details. but So that's 11 out of the six, out of the 14 coaches have been to at least the Sweet 16. Um, another one, Nate Oates got Alabama in the top 25. And then obviously, uh, Kermit Davis, uh, took Ole Miss to the tournament in his first year. So I don't even think it's a debate. And I actually think it's kind of funny to kind of visually picture in my head, like, uh, you know, coach K, Tony Bennett, Roy Williams, and Jim Beheim like in a side conversation and like Josh Passner sidling up, like wanting to be part of it, and the conversation immediately breaking up, and the guys all going their own way because they want nothing to do with it. Like, like I could actually see that happening. So we interviewed Passner, and he was actually really good. He's a good. I one. was. I mean, he was. He had personality. He was a little tense because he, of course, was asked all day about, "Hey, you got banned from the tournament this year," but he was really, really. He did the blatant like, "Oh, you guys are from Louisville." I think Louisville's the best team in the ACC, which kind of seemed kind of you know seemed kind of phony. Like he was just trying to say what he thinks our audience would want to hear. But him talking about his team, his schedule, he was he actually seemed about as you know he, he, to me he actually seemed into the interview more than others. And maybe that's just because he's happy people are talking to him. But um, I didn't know what to think of him. But he was he was I was pretty impressed with our conversation. And he's actually jacked. You never know it. Josh Pastner's ripped. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh... First of all, I, I've I've interviewed him a few times for various things I'm working on. I will say in his defense, like people think that he's a fake or a phony or whatever. He is gen- like he is genuinely actually just a really nice guy, um, and he Our is players al- love him. Yeah, he's always tense. He's always in a hurry. He's always stressed out. Like every time, yeah, that I- he couldn't sit still. <laughs> yeah, like every time that I've been like, hey, coach, uh, I want to talk to you for the story. Can you give me a buzz? Whatever. He's literally like every time he calls me, he's like out of breath. It's like 9 p.m. Like I don't know if he's coming from a workout or he's running to his car, but like whatever. But anyways, he's always been really nice to me. But I could also see that scenario where uh, the coaches are, uh, you know, are, are giving him a hard time. But all right, enough hoops for today. We'll get we got plenty of time to talk hoops. I do want to talk football. Can't wait. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this, and I've I've said this on this show many times. My Saturday radio partner Arnie Spanier. Every week he gets mad. Oh, there's no good games and there's no big games. Well, you can't say that this weekend because we got Texas, Oklahoma. We got Bama, uh, A&M. We got LSU, Florida. We got USC, Notre Dame. We got, uh, th- those are the big ones. I might have missed one or two, um, but those are the big ones. And so it's a great weekend for college football. Like I said, I, I thought it'd be fun to have you on, Nick. Uh, I think the game to start with is Oklahoma, Texas. Um, I'll tell you this, man. I don't know if we talked – I don't know how much football we talked in the preseason. 
I was not as high on Texas as other people coming into the year. I kind of felt like, okay, they lost a ton of guys. You know, everyone knows Sam Ellinger, but they really lost a lot of people off last year's team that went to the Sugar Bowl and beat Georgia. I've been actually pretty impressed with them. I mean, I, I thought that last week going to West Virginia, it would have been so on Texas's brand to just give away that game and kind of make this game less important. But they won. They won convincingly. They've basically taken care of business against everybody except LSU. And even that game was a player too. You know, they, it goes a different way. They potentially win that game. So I'm excited for this one. The point spread is actually like 11, which feels insane to me. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 I'll just say this. I think it's going to be a really good game. This game has historically been a good game, even when Charlie Strong was there. Texas at times struggled in games besides this, but I think it was the last five years it's been a one-touchdown game. Any quick thoughts going into that one? I've been insanely impressed with Oklahoma uh, this year, and Texas is a team that, like you, I wasn't as high on them going into this year as others. I think their win against Georgia was obviously a good sign for them, but Georgia was the team that felt, you know, and I hate, I actually don't like when people use this excuse, but I think there's some truth to it. The teams that feel like they belong in the playoff, they don't they don't necessarily come out with the right mindset. So uh, Texas, to me, when they lost to LSU, I kind of wrote them off. But like you alluded to, they've been pretty good this year, and uh, I just I have a hard time going against Oklahoma in this game. But I do not see it being a double. Di- I mean, I think it'll be close. It always is, regardless of circumstances. When they're not good, Texas usually gets up to this game for the most part. So. I would take Oklahoma, but I think it'll be competitive. And with all that said, not to be middleman Dan here, I, it wouldn't be a huge, huge upset if Texas does win. I know by points spread it would, considering the line is what it is. But Texas is a good – this is actually, uh, as much as I'm confident in Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's been a powerhouse in recent years, no stranger to the playoff. In your, in your mind, is this about as close as these two teams have been in a long time? Oh, 100%. And And – I think the Jalen Hurts story is great, but you look at who they've played. Houston's not good. They they're literally tanking the season. UCLA, uh, FCS team, Kansas and Texas Tech. Like they haven't played anybody, and so I do think Texas has the benefit. They played at West Virginia, played LSU, played Oklahoma State, and so I listen. I don't know if I would pick it outright, but no, I don't think it would be shocking to me. If this, if Texas was, uh, if Texas won this game, real quick, I had kind of a take that I didn't think was that hot the other night, but apparently it just got people so upset. And I actually, it was a tweet, and and I don't generally delete tweets, but I kind of worded it wrong, and I, it was like nine o'clock at night, and I just like didn't feel like dealing with an an angry mob of people. But I want to ask you a question. All right, so I'm watching the Browns Monday night game. They're playing San Francisco. Baker Mayfield is getting his, excuse my language, mute the mute the, the radio for people listening with your kids. Baker Mayfield was getting his ass beat. And I was thinking, okay, Baker Mayfield really has struggled as an NFL quarterback, or at least this year. Kyler Murray is kind of eh. And so I put this out there. I said, do you think should this, affect Jalen Hurts' Heisman candidacy. And the argument would be, on my part, that these guys are clearly, all of them are being elevated by Lincoln Riley. And you look at Jalen Hurts, and I've said this on this show, he's a great story. I'm not trying to tear him down. I'm not trying to discredit what he's done. But this guy got beat out by Tua, 
Tua won the job, and never it never even came close to Jalen Hurts getting back. Even when Jalen Hurts led Alabama to the SEC championship, the second Tua got that second Tua got healthy, he got the job back. And so, is that a preposterous take? Like you can tell me it is, and you can tell me you disagree hundred percent. But like, if I'm a Heisman Trophy voter and I'm seeing how lousy these guys look the second that they get out of Lincoln Riley's kind of grasp. I don't care how good Jalen Hurts' season is. I feel like that should be kind of a factor when we're talking about the Heisman this year. Even if he's really good, by the way. Even if they win this weekend and he's really good all year. I think that there's no doubt that all three of those quarterbacks have been impacted by Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, I mean, is, is I mean, Jerry Jones, if he ever decides to move on from his head coach, Lincoln Riley's going to be the guy he goes after because he may be the best offensive mind in football at all yep. levels right now. So I think your your thought on maybe it's more about Lincoln Riley than it is about Jalen Hurts. I think most would agree with that. I think if you got backlash, if you got a lot of um, response from that, a lot of people crushing you for it. Was it people that were insinuating that you don't think Jalen Hurts is any good because? Uh, Jalen Hurts up until this year, I think had been, it been had, even before Tua got in, and, and even before Tua became a thing, even when Jalen Hurts won what ACC or SEC Offensive Player of the Year, like we all kind of said, yeah, what's he really doing though? He's fine. He's a good player. He's getting the job done, but like he's not the reason Bama is Bama. Um, so I guess my question to you would be: Was it people upset that they think you're discrediting? Jalen Hurts, because I feel like the Jalen Hurts attention is more just about that it's a good story, not that he's some crazy, phenomenal quarterback. Does that make sense? Like, the, yeah. the circumstances is what makes it, well, good for him. He's down the new home and he's thriving. I don't think many people think this, like, that he's become such a phenomenal quarterback. Maybe they do think that. I mean, I think he's fine, but I think it's fairly obvious that the reason he's doing what he's doing is because the system he's in and the guy named Lincoln Riley call him the plays. Yeah, I would say that some of the pushback was, and this is justifiable, is the Heisman is a college award. It should have nothing to do with the NFL. And then I think there were just legitimately a lot of points, a lot of people that didn't really understand my point that like basically that I was trying to like weirdly somehow tear down Jalen Hurts. And all I was really trying to say was that we now have a pretty good track record that Lincoln Riley elevates quarterbacks and that when they leave, um, they're not as good. And now other people brought up with like the very tangible point that when you're the number one overall draft pick, like you don't you're gonna go to a bad situation. Like Kyler Murray, it's hard to really know if he's good or bad because the situation is Yeah, I would so imagine good. you had people saying it's too early to judge Kyler and Baker Mayfield's gonna be fine, that kind of I mean, I, I would imagine there's some people saying that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And then there were some that were just like, You're a freaking idiot. Um, and it like it was whatever. Like I, you know, I get harassed online all the time. It's not that big of a deal. But it was like it, well, w- it was like I w- back to yeah. Go ahead. Let's go back to that Houston game. Whenever Jalen Hurts put up insane numbers, again you can you can find I guess whatever reaction you're really looking for. But I feel like the majority was wow, good for him. More so than holy shit, this guy's going to take over college football. You know what I mean? Like it was more about the circumstance than it was about this guy has turned into some phenomenal quarterback. And that's not me saying he's not a good quarterback, but I don't know. I just I feel like in a way it's it's fairly obvious that the difference here for him and maybe he has improved his game. Maybe he's found maybe the the fit is really good with him and Lincoln Riley. But Lincoln Riley well, That's the point. The fit is good with everybody with Lincoln Riley. That's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, but I mean, Tyler Murray is a good example to use just because, like, he in his right mind didn't think he'd be a football player after one year, and then of course he goes there and turns into the number one overall pick. Baker, Baker, Baker Mayfield, I think is is I don't know. I obviously he he fit really well with what Lincoln Rally did too, and I'm not you know as much as Baker Mayfield looked like complete dog shit the other night against I mean he looked bad and in yeah. fact it, it's been a rough season for him in year two in Cleveland but I'm I mean, maybe I'm I'm biased because I've, I've always I think Baker Mayfield's a really good quarterback he hasn't shown that yet this year but I guess my, I'm more impressed with Baker and the story and the grit and the attitude you know maybe when it comes to his ability to make plays and in his numbers, maybe it was all due to Lincoln Riley. No matter how you want to slice it, Lincoln Riley is certainly a factor, but I think what you're going to get pushed back on is people saying, yeah, but those players were more important than Lincoln. And we'll never know. We'll never know the truth to it until this plays out. And if these guys all flame out at the next level, then Mr. Torres will look like he was onto something. Yeah, well, I won't look like I'm on anything because I deleted the tweet. Um, and it was really more just like, I was like, dude, I don't, you know, I don't know if you even heard this thing, but I had a, a dust up with Richard Sherman two weeks ago uh, before Baker Mayfield, ironically. And my Twitter feed was just a cesspool for like a week straight. And I was like, dude, I just don't want to deal with this right now. Like, I just, I can't. Oh, I hear you, man. I, yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't want you either. You're, you, uh, you're braver than I am. Yeah, well, and that was what it was. And I was like, dude, I just. I need to be able to actually like go on Twitter and like get the information that I need from the reporters and writers that I follow without having hundreds of mentions about how stupid I am. So anyway, so I just deleted the tweet. But um, yeah, no, I but I do think as the season has gone on, I think it has gone from Jalen Hurts is a good story to like. I mean, he is in Jalen Hurts' defense. I believe statistically have has been even better than Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray were through this point in the season. Now, the toughest games are ahead, all that stuff. Um, but, like, I, I do think that there's a, a big narrative of, like, well, he's just a completely rejuvenated quarterback under Lincoln Riley. And I do think, like, there's a portion of the, the college football fan base that I don't know that I agree with that is now, like, using this, like, oh, well, Nick Saban just didn't know how to use him. And it's like, no, like Lincoln Riley's just really, really, really good at what he does. And so I think it started as like a, a feel-good story. And now it's like, oh, he's really, really, really awesome putting up insane stats. And so that's where I think a lot of the pushback came in. But we don't have to spend too much more time on it. I was just like, dude, like, I, you know, and you know how it is on social media is even when you say stuff that makes sense, people get mad. But like, I didn't word it quite right. And like, I, I didn't really get my point across the way I wanted to. But I wanted to make sure that it's not like a totally preposterous take. And I don't think that it is. No, it's a, it's a conversation that can, that can be had, no doubt. I mean, it's not as if you're talking out of your rear end. I mean, I think it's easy for others to find a way to, to try to dispute it. But it's certainly, I mean, it's one of those things that it's, there's really no way to prove who's right or wrong. It just comes down to, You'll you know you'll need some time before you can really figure out how it plays out. But the observation that he threw out there, even if it didn't come out across via the tweet, um, I, I, with the way you led it, it certainly makes sense. All right. Anything else on Texas, uh, Oklahoma, before we move on? No, but in a weird way, I'm rooting for Texas, and I have no clue why. I don't <laughs> want to root for him because I don't. I think that uh, their head coach is insanely thin-skinned about the horns down bullshit, which. He keeps bringing it up, which is why people are going to keep doing it because he's made it clear that it, it gets under his skin. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'd like to see Texas uh, pull off this upset. I think you just want to see it because it's like anything else in college football is it gets exhausting having the same every year. 
the Ohio State's oh, best yeah. team in the oh, Big yeah. Ten. I like, I like the shakeup. I like the chaos. Yeah, yeah. O- o- Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten. Oklahoma's the best team in the Big 12. Like, you want to see them challenged. Um, and I'm with you on that. I, I, I have trouble betting against Oklahoma in terms of the actual win-loss, but that is one of my picks for the week is uh, – I do like Texas plus 11. I, I just can't see it being more than a touchdown either way. Uh, Florida LSU. So this one to me is just as fascinating because it's kind of the same deal, a little bit of a different twist. Ed Orgeron has been really good since he got to LSU. And I think people, and I've said this on this show many times, like they still see the dude that like was at Ole Miss, like ripping off his shirt, doing car commercials. And it's like, well, he beat Tom Herman head-to-head on the road this year. He beat Kirby Smart head-to-head last year. And I forget the number, but I think he's like 6-2 and two against top 10 teams, Not and the two losses are to Bama. So like the guy's really, really, really good, but I also am kind of like the same thing with Oklahoma. Like who have they really played? You look at the defenses that they've played. Uh, Texas is obviously not very good. And then they've played Utah State. They've played uh, Georgia Southern and a couple other teams. I'm just really curious because, like, Florida, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to move the ball, um, but I think Florida plays real defense, and I, I just think that this is going to be, like, LSU's first real test. I'm not sold that they're, like, on this Bama-Georgia level just yet, but they win big this weekend or they win convincingly this weekend, I'll be swayed, obviously. That's kind of what stands out to me is just I just want to see this LSU offense against a real defense. I thought Auburn was going to have their way with Florida. That was one of the most surprising results of the season for me, not just that that Florida won, but they did it, and it really wasn't close. Um, and Auburn's a good team. So Florida, look, you threw it out there over the weekend. It stood out to me that, that, that although Mullen has, has kind of seemingly been very quiet, he's actually done really well wins and losses, and um, better than a lot of the other coaches that were hired at the same time he was. Um, so with Florida, just if you'd, have, if you'd have just mentioned this matchup to me two weeks ago, Florida to me, I just every time I watch them play, I'm not impressed yet. They always win. Yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't touch this one when it comes to, to betting just because nothing would ultimately shock me. My gut tells me LSU's just better. I'm with you. I don't think they're on the level of a Georgia, Ohio State, or anything like that. But I just I don't know what it is about Dan Mullen's Florida team. Even going back to last year, and of course, obviously so far this year, I just have never been impressed with them. But then again, their win against Auburn maybe one of the bigger, at least from my perspective, was one of the bigger surprises so far this college football season. Yeah, and I will say I think it's totally fair to to question like what the ceiling of that team is. I mean, look, they've had a couple marquee games. The Miami game in Week Zero, lucky to win that game. Offense was terrible. Uh, and Miami's bad. And Miami's bad. By the way, they should have lost to Kentucky. You and I both, I'm sure, watched that game. I know a lot of people that listen to this show. Well, Kentucky was just a better team than them for like 80% of the game. Mm-hmm. It's crazy they lost that one. It yeah, seemingly and- kind of led to their season slipping away. Exactly. And so you take those two games, um, and you like there's a reason that people still doubt Florida. And I'd also add this. Now, the last couple weeks, they've looked good. Obviously, they were awesome against Auburn. They played well against Tennessee, whatever it was, three weeks ago. Tennessee's terrible. But um, I also think, like, both those games were at home. And when they were on the road at Kentucky, they really struggled. When they were on a neutral court or neutral field against Miami, they struggled. And so I think that's the big thing to me is, like, I'm with you. Like, if this was a 24 
you know, 20 game with one minute left, like, or with, oh, damn. Sorry, I'm watching uh, this Dodgers game. Some dude just got hit in the head with a fucking pitch. Um, That'll distract you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get, we'll let everybody, uh, get their updates on that one. Um, but like, th- that's the big thing is like, they've, they've looked good in these games, but they've been at home. And I do wonder if that's the X factor, but like I was saying, I don't know, you know, you know if this one was 24, 20 with four minutes to go, I wouldn't be surprised either way, but I also wouldn't be surprised. Like if LSU's up like 28 to six with like four minutes to go, I don't know if I'd be surprised by that either. Yeah, and it, honestly, this should be a good game. In fact, again, I wouldn't touch it, but if I had to, to you know, gun to my head, kind of predict how it plays out, I think it'll be a competitive game. I, 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 it seemed like to me every team in the SEC, to an extent, says they're rivals. I didn't realize <laughs> there's as much history between these two. Maybe history is not the right way to word it, but like they don't like each other, and they made that pretty clear. Both teams in their press conferences and their media availabilities this week. This, there, there's some. Uh, some extra uh, motivation on the line in this one. Yeah, I will say, by the way, quick update for people who care about something that happened in the past. I guess this guy got hit on the wrist and it deflected into his face. So I don't know how his wrist is, but his face is okay. So that's good from the baseball world. Uh, we did one baseball segment on this show, and it was just me swearing a there lot. You go. So that's my second baseball update uh, on the show. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I will say, what, what was the point you just made? I got distracted. I'm sorry. It was a good point. I want to follow no up on it. I want to follow up on it. What did you just say? I said no worries. Oh, no, no, no. You said everybody's a rival in the SEC. That's what you said. Oh, no. What I was saying about that is that I think to an extent, a lot of these schools in the SEC kind of, maybe they don't claim they're rivals, but there always seems to be like bad blood. Sure. But I, I heard Florida players and LSU players talking this week and like they don't like each other. And I guess it's because, you know, no matter who it is, you're going to psych yourself up and say they're the enemy this week. But this is not a, maybe I'm just, somebody just oblivious to these traditional rivalries, but I did not think of LSU Florida to be a big one, but uh, hearing from these players this week, it seems like it's personal. Yeah, I will say they play annually. It's one of those weird ones that you don't think is as big as it is, but it is. kind of reminds me of like Georgia-Auburn, which is the Deep South's oldest rivalry. You think like Auburn is, their rival is Alabama, but like Auburn and Georgia genuinely hate each other. Um, but yeah, no, all I'll say about this game really quick I'm picking LSU. Uh, my picks for the week, which are on my Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Uh, I, I will take the under because the only scenario I can't see, I can see every scenario ranging from Florida winning a low-scoring game to LSU winning a low-scoring game to LSU blowing out Florida. The only scenario I can't see is Florida winning a high-scoring game. Like If it gets into the 30s, like if LSU puts up like 31 points – I can't see Florida topping them on the road with the way this offense looks. So that's kind of my take. I think LSU wins. I think that I'm not sold on their defense, but I just don't think Florida is going to be able to move the ball. So that's what I'm rocking with. A couple other games real quick. Bama A&M. I'll just say this real quick, and I, I don't know how much you've gotten to watch either team, Nick, but Bama, first of all, Tua, and I've made this point, and, and like, again, this isn't like a tear down Jalen Hurts thing when I say nice things about Tua. But, like, I do think, and maybe I even said this on your show, Nick, but, like, I, we we live in this world where we're always in such a rush to, like, proclaim the next greatest thing. And, like, you know, we do this in the NBA all the time, right? Like, Zion Williamson was playing tonight. Everyone's so excited about Zion. 
But like a year ago, all anybody was talking about was Donovan Mitchell. Now I feel like nobody's talking about Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum and all those guys. And so Tua, I feel like, is kind of like that in the college football world. Is like we saw it last year. It was awesome. We loved it. And now we're just ready for something new. So we're so excited about Joe Burrow. We're so excited about Jalen Hurts. Uh, I'm going to read you really quickly what Tua's stats are this season. So Tua is now, uh, through five games, is completing 76% of his passes, 11.6 yards per completion, 23 touchdowns, zero interceptions, Nick. guy's freaking insane. Were you there? pretty damn impressive. In fact, I think that's... This to me highlights the fact that people are just, I guess, done. They've they've already just they, he already had his hype train. Yep. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. Because I guess that's just the norm for him. But yeah, he's had he and his team have they've not gone anywhere. People are still ranking them very highly, and when everybody puts together their playoff, Bama is certainly in it. But there's really no buzz about them. And I even think last year it was crazy to me how quickly. He became old news, and Kyler Murray stole the Heisman Trophy. Yes, we've talked about it many times. It was, it was literally like we stopped talking Heisman. Not you and I. Like I'm like a college football as a community stopped talking Heisman Trophy um, in like probably around this time, and we were just going to give it to Tua, and then all of a sudden Kyler Murray got it. But I, I'm with you, and and I will say like I like I think there's questions about Bama like people are like really concerned about their defense I get it um but I just feel like yeah I just feel like we did the Tua thing last year and everyone's like over it and it's just preposterous the guy is freaking insane um and literally nobody is giving him like 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 I I don't hear anybody like I I even saw and he's a friend of mine and I'm not criticizing him but like Joel Klatt put out his Heisman uh, rankings a few days ago and I think he had two at four or two at five I think he had uh, I want to say I want to say he had Hertz one Jonathan Taylor two Joe Burrow three and I want to say Justin Fields four and two of five and it's like come on man 23 touchdowns, zero interceptions, 1,700 yards, 76% completion. That's freaking insane. So um, I think Bama wins. I'll say this real quick in this game. Um, this is one I actually really like, and maybe I'll look stupid. Texas A&M does traditionally play good good offense – or good defense, excuse me. But this Jimbo Fisher thing um, – and I don't blame Jimbo. I just think the quarterback that he has, they can't – like all they can do is sustain like 12-play – 80-yard drives against inferior defenses, and when they played Clemson and when they played Auburn, they couldn't piece together drives, and I don't think they'll be able to move the ball against Alabama. I think Alabama wins big, uh, and hopefully by the end of this game, we start talking to it, because I just think it's insane. Like I said, I think everyone's just moved on from them. I think everybody's just ready to talk about the next big thing, and I think we need to give my boy Tua a little bit of love. Yeah, I uh, anytime I've watched or followed anything with A&M this year, I, I kind of just feel like, yeah, we're still waiting for Jimbo Fisher to really get there. Um, was really shocked and disappointed how much they struggled at home against Auburn. Who Look, Auburn's a good team, but that was that was supposed to be a real game. And um, with Alabama, this is kind of when they really turn it on. So I'm with you. With two, I think more than anything, it's just a what have you done for me lately society. And he's been really good. It's not as if he's not doing something, but it's almost as if he's a victim of just how consistently good yeah. he is. Like he's going to have to, I guess, go for 
11 touchdowns in a game or something to really get attention because everybody's so used to him doing what he does. It just doesn't generate the reaction that it, that it would. When you put somebody else doing even close to what he's doing, he'd be the biggest topic in college football. But because he's kind of been here doing this with Saban and Bama, and it's not a shock to anybody, I guess that's why it just kind of appearingly flies under the radar. Yeah, and I think there's a little Bama fatigue too. I think everybody's just tired. Sure, oh, no doubt. That's, yeah. And that's not their fault, but I think that is absolutely true. All right. Uh, one from your from your neck of the woods I want your opinion on. Clemson, Florida State. Like, I don't think Flor- – listen, Florida State's not winning this game. It's not – I don't think. Like, they're not winning this game. What do you perceive and what is the buzz in ACC country on Clemson? And by the way, this will be the last one. I want to let you go. It's super late where you are and I want to get you to bed. Uh, but – and that sounded weird, get you to bed. But I want you to get out of here so you can prepare for your own show. But <laughs> I got you, man. You, you, you do what you want after. But what is the buzz on Clemson? I actually – sick name drop. I had Kirk Herbstreit on the other day and he was telling me that – you know, uh, I don't even remember what he said, but I, I, I don't know what it is. I, I saw Dabo got pretty defensive. People were asking if Trevor Lawrence was injured, and there was some speculation on that. Uh, what is the buzz? Because I'm telling you, man, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, uh, you know, not to to brag about winning bets because everyone that brags about their bets is one kind of a loser, two, um, you know, destined to to fail. But betting against Clemson and betting the unders in their games has been a pretty consistent winner this year. Um, and I don't see it changing. I mean, I think for one week they're coming out of a bye. Maybe they'll be recharged and all that stuff, but there's something that's just wrong with them, man, and, and, and I don't know what it is, and I don't know what the buzz is in ACC country. Well, this matchup here is tricky because if this wasn't at Clemson and they weren't coming off a bye, I wouldn't put them on upset alert, but I would definitely take Florida State to cover. Um, however, I do think they, they've – with them going into a bye week after that close win that kind of felt like a loss, I think they're going to come out ready to play because they do have they do have that game every year that they either lose or should lose, and they hope they need to hope this is the one, the one they just had against North Carolina. But even before that, they just haven't really. I mean, Trevor Lawrence has had a sophomore slump in it. I mean, he's, I asked you this on my show a couple weeks ago, and after that Carolina game, I think it's evident. He's not. He, there is no chance he wins the Like he just. And, nope. and in fact, if you'd have said that six months ago, people would look at you sideways because he was just. He was the story of the championship run and looked at. I mean, he was. He was the talk of the off season. Um, so the buzz on Clemson is that well, they better hope this is the one because they have one every year where they just aren't there. But also, when I was just in the ACC country, of course, a lot of the folks there on Tuesday in Charlotte were also people who cover ACC football and Clemson football as well. And they kind of are just laughing that people are doubting them. But I'm with you. Something's not right. Doesn't mean they still can't win the ACC because the ACC is not a good league. But I don't know, man. I mean, I wouldn't touch this one because they're motivated now and they haven't been motivated in a long time. They've heard people are doubting them. They did fall from number one in the polls despite being the defending champs and still being unbeaten. But Florida State has players. And I don't know how good Florida State is. In fact, the resume would not indicate that they're very good at all. But. This is a big game, and again, I wouldn't touch it because Clemson still, at the end of the day, if they turn it on, look out. But I am going to be watching this one early because I, I, I just, if it is close, I think we could have an interesting finish. But um, I, Clemson, I don't know what it is about them. Kind of like you said, they're just not right, and it's not. An, I mean, they they lost some players. Their defensive line's not what it once was, um, but they've got great receivers. Their offensive line is solid. Trevor Lawrence has no excuse to not be great. We've seen what he can do. So I don't know what it is. I think even Davos' comments this week kind of make it even more apparent that just something's 
those odds just aren't there with them right now. Yeah, and I think you know they're they're uh, historically a program, and like we all know the narrative, but they they have fun, they're loose, they're this, and it's like you know when everyone expects you to win every game, it's hard to stay loose and have fun. Um, and even last year, they flew under the radar a little bit because of Bama, because of Tua, because of all that stuff. And so, um, so yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. And I'm just kind of fascinated uh, to just see if they turn it around because uh, if they don't get it right, um, they're gonna lose. And like I know we keep saying like, well, nobody's gonna like they they'll lose. And dude, I, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to you know let you go all car- card boy on me, but. They could get tripped up at Louisville. I don't think it's going to happen, but oh, it's a come on. it's a road game. I'm just saying, okay, it probably won't happen. But at some point, if they keep playing the way they are, somebody's going to beat them. It's probably not going to be Louisville. I'm not going to lie. But, what I look to see is if they limp through and they barely get by a bunch of bad teams that's left on the schedule, what does the committee do? I don't think they leave them out because I think Clemson's one of those teams that's just so consistent and it's not supposed to matter what you did before, but we all know the human element is real, and people will give them the benefit of the doubt like they did Bama two years ago, and then Bama ended up winning it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, this can't be good for them to go through this. And I know last year they also didn't necessarily go, you know, through a, a gauntlet by any means. In fact, the schedule last year it felt like they didn't get challenged until they got to the playoff. But they were also in, like, the last five, six games beating teams by a billion points. They're not doing that right now. So no. if they don't turn it on and, and – and get back to looking like they were last year, beating up on these ACC chumps, then I would worry about them, you know what they do in the playoff. I think they'd still get in if they go and beat, because, again, they'd get the benefit of the doubt. But, I mean, I don't think there's a scenario where they just limp through and beat, you know, beat, uh, let's say they beat Virginia by 10 in the ACC championship game. They beat Louisville by 13. Like, if that's, their re- if that's the scenario and they walk into the playoff, I don't think they would just flip it and turn it on. I think they'd get humbled. I don't disagree. Um, Notre Dame, USC, you have anything there? I mean, I, I don't feel great about either of these teams. We don't have to spend 15 minutes talking about it. Uh, 30 seconds. You feel any any way about either of these teams enough to, to speak about it? This may be the game I have literally no feelings which way. About. I think Notre Dame, the way they played at Georgia, has made people think they're legit because they were right there with them. They competed. USC is one of those teams that I – Every time I hear anything about USC, Aaron, it is when's the hell I'm going to get fired. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> that would make me lean towards USC. But then again, or that would make me, I'm sorry, lean towards Notre Dame. Then again, I haven't watched a second of USC football this year. Uh, I can tell you this. Uh, they're not terrible. Uh, they have great wide receivers. And this was why like, I actually, before their actual starting quarterback. Have they played like five quarterbacks? They've played three, at least maybe four. Their starting quarterback got hurt in week one. But before that, I was like, dude, you know, the thing about USC is it's like Florida State. It's like uh, Penn State, whoever is like they recruit really good guys. And it's like they haven't lived up to the expectation, but their wide receivers are really good. But and they have this new, you know, they basically people forget this. Like they hired Cliff Kingsbury as their offensive coordinator before he went to the NFL. Um, And then when he uh, when he when he left, they. they uh they they brought in basically the the closest equivalent to him Graham Harrell so they run the the um what you call it the uh the air raid but the thing I'll say about them is they have really good wide receivers but like when they can't get um when they can't get big plays 
it, they just uh, like they, they don't have an offense. Like it's 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 either like a forty yard gain or a three and out. Like there's no in between uh, with USC. And so I think asking a true freshman who's coming out of a concussion uh, to go on the road and beat Notre Dame, I think, is a little bit much. So. All right, Nick, uh, anything else before I let you go? It has been a busy, fun, adventurous, uh, fun fun show, man, fun show, hour. hour no, it was, it was yeah, fun. It, was, it was fun. It was good to be back, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon, my friend. All right, Nick Coffey, you can, of course, hear him 7 to 10, Eastern 790 KRD in Louisville. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at the Card Connect. Uh, that is all for Nick. I will stick around and talk, take some college hoops mailbag questions, but I want to thank everybody for listening. Make sure you're subscribed to the show, iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, also rate and review, Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And of course, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Thank you to Nick Coffey. And now here's Aaron Torres throwing to Aaron Torres. I'll be right back. All right, so a big thank you to Nick Coffey. Uh, always good to catch up with Nick. And like I said off the top, I uh, thought it was good. So much college football this week. And I figured since it was less topics and more talking about actual games, probably good to get a second voice on. Listen, nobody loves hearing AT's voice more than AT. But I don't know if I even want to hear myself talk about LSU Florida for 15 minutes or Texas Oklahoma. So I appreciate Nick's time. And then uh, with Nick gone now, I promised you guys that I would do a College Hoops mailbag. We have a bunch of questions. I did it last Thursday. The response was awesome. If you guys want to send in your questions, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com and in the lead up to college hoop season uh, as we get more coaches on and people around the sport I think actually Gary Parrish from CBS is going to join me next week a couple coaches hopefully will be on the show as well um, as we transition to college hoops you know I want you guys to be able to weigh in with your questions with the things that are on your mind leading into the season Last week we talked about Memphis, we talked about Penny Hardaway, we talked about the Pac-12. Last episode a little bit of an SEC kind of related thing with Eric Musselman on. And I'm going to get to a couple questions in a minute. Before I do though, I did on Wednesday morning release my top 25 in the preseason. Uh, It's available on KentuckySportsRadio.com. But because of course uh, KSR posts a million posts, I actually just have it tagged to the top of my Twitter feed. So if you're interested... Aaron uh, underscore Torres on Twitter and of course also I have posted a uh, a graphic thanks to my intern Zach who made a, a cool graphic for my Instagram page Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram but my top 25 is out and so really quickly I want to talk about it um, I, I'm gonna spare you going through all top 25 teams if you guys want to look, check it out. Like I said, go to my, my Twitter page. It's pinned to the top, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. What I'll say is this. First of all, I'll just give you the quick top five. I do have uh, Michigan State number one. That's pretty consensus. I don't think anyone is going to have anyone other than Michigan State number one. 
coming off a Final Four. Cassius Winston was a first-team All-American last year. Seems appropriate to have them. One, I actually have Kentucky, two. Uh, I actually watched that pro day the other day. Was actually more impressed with Kentucky than I thought I would be. I, I obviously like Ashton Hagens and EJ Montgomery, who are coming back this season. But a lot of the guys that I was kind of not sold on looked really, really good. And I know it's early, but Nate Sestina, the grad transfer, I think he might be able to contribute more than I thought. Uh, I think Keon Brooks, the freshman, might be able to contribute more than I thought. Johnny Juzang, the kid from California, uh, was shooting lights out, and Calipari seems impressed with him. So I like the ancillary pieces to go with the veterans, EJ Montgomery, Ashton Hagens, and uh, Emmanuel Quickly. And so I have Kentucky at number two. Number three, Louisville. Listen, Louisville, I think, is the by far the best team in the ACC. I've seen other people pick Duke. I've seen other people pick North Carolina. I don't see it. I really don't get it. Louisville brings back a ton of talent, as Nick Coffey uh, mentioned to me off air. Four fifth-year seniors on that team, which is basically unheard of in college basketball this uh, in, in this era. A lot of good vets. Jordan Awar, I think, will be the preseason player of the year in the ACC. Um, and the freshman class. Chris Mack was on a few weeks ago. We talked about Aiden Agehan. We talked about Samuel Williamson. Now, they do have injuries, but I do think that Louisville, by the time mid-February hits, mid-early March, when this season starts to take off, they will be the best team in the ACC. At number four, I have Kansas. Last year, they were the Fire Festival College Basketball. If you listen to this show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This year... They're pretty good, man. I'll tell you this. You say what you want about Bill Self and, and the uh, the acrobatic dancers that they had on campus this weekend with Snoop Dogg. By the way, shout out to Snoop Dogg. Great line. Uh, when you pay for Snoop Dogg, you get Snoop Dogg. And so Snoop brought the heat on Friday night at Kansas. But I'll tell you this. This team is actually really good, and it's kind of incredible, and I wrote about this in my little preview of Kansas. But you look at where this program was maybe a week or two after the season, and there was a chance that they could be in really, really, really bad shape. Obviously, look, um, the uh, Diedrich Lawson declared for the draft. Quentin Grimes declared for the draft. Devon Dotson declared for the draft. K.J. Lawson uh, transferred. Charlie Moore transferred. Silvio D'Souza at the time was suspended. Adoka Azabuke was injured. And so you looked at the team at that point, and you said, this team could be in real trouble. And so it's been incredible to see how this team has been rebuilt during the offseason. First of all, the most important piece, Devon Dotson coming back for his sophomore year. I think that kid could be first-team All-American good. He was already awesome last year. I think having a year of college basketball under his belt, I think he comes back. I think he is a big X factor for that team, and I think he ends up as a first-round draft pick this year. But then all the other stuff. Silvio D'Souza, in a surprise twist, gets eligible. Adoka Azabuke, it appears as though, is going to be healthy. Now, that kid's had a lot of injuries through the years. You hope he's okay. You never want to see anybody get injured, but right now he appears to be healthy. They got a grad transfer named Isaiah Moss, who averaged double figures at Iowa last year. They got a freshman, Jalen Wilson, who was committed to Michigan. When John Beeline leaves, he ends up coming to Kansas. So, all of a sudden, Kansas has a nice little team there. I do think they are the favorites in the Big 12. And I think we're going to have to officially retire the Fire Festival of College Basketball joke because I think they're going to be pretty good next this year. Number five, very interesting. I have the Maryland Terrapins. So for you guys that don't aren't, aren't college basketball diehards or still kind of trying to figure out who's who this season, this is what you need to know about Maryland. 
They did lose probably their best player, Bruno Fernando, but they bring back everybody else, okay? So Anthony Cowan is their point guard, fourth-year senior. Uh, you know, if Cassius Winston wasn't in this league, people would be talking crazy about Anthony Cowan. They have a big guy down low named Jalen Smith who probably would have been drafted if he declared last year, but he decided to come back. And the guys on the wing are the X-Factors. They got a couple guys, Eric Ayala, Aaron Wiggins, Daryl Morsell, who are all just really good players. And so I think the big thing that's interesting with this Maryland team is the coach, Mark Turgeon, because Mark Turgeon, he's been there, I think this is his ninth year. They've only made the Sweet 16 one time. And if you talk to Maryland fans, they don't really have faith in this guy. And so the big question is not talent, but whether they can re reach or maximize their talent with um, with Mark Turgeon as the head coach. So that's my top five. I should mention number six is Duke. Listen, Duke, there is no Zion Williamson. There is no R.J. Barrett on this team. I don't even think there's a Cam Reddish. Bringing back Trey Jones is huge. Whenever you have a point guard back, I think this is going to be uh, – let me – kind of use a corny phrase here, but this is going to be the year of the sophomore point guard in college basketball with Ashton Hagens at Kentucky, Devon Dotson at Kansas, and of course, uh, Trey Jones at Duke. And But outside of Trey Jones, and by the way, Trey Jones can't shoot, so we got to see if he's improved, but then also just a lot of questions with those freshmen. I'm not as high on Matthew Hurt as some other people. I think he can struggle with the size and length of some players in the ACC and in college basketball. Vernon Carey, good down low, but I don't really know what he is, not only at this level, but the next level. Cassius Stanley is a, a wing. I've seen him in California, not sold on him. Wendell Moore, also a really good player, but again, as a freshman. So I think Duke is really interesting. I, I, I like the individual pieces, don't know that I love them. So that's my top six. Again, Michigan State one, Kentucky two, Louisville three, Kansas four, Maryland five, Duke six. And what I'll say now is rather than going through the whole top 25, again, if you want to see it, uh, you can find me find it pinned atop my Twitter page, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, also on Instagram. We do have a post. Thank you again to my intern, Zach, for setting that up for me. Um, is What I'll say about the, 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 the preseason poll is this, is that there are five ACC teams in the top 25, but, and this is a big but as far as I'm concerned, I think that, that the power conferences, the traditional conferences in college basketball are going to struggle this year, and because of it, I think that's going to be a really big storyline. I tweeted this out the other day, and it got a lot of traction from Big East fans, but what I said was, I think that ESPN, because they have the ACC and because they have the Big 12 contracts... Uh, they're going to really try to pimp up those two conferences like they always do, but I think the Big East is the best conference in college basketball. The Big East has four teams in my top 25, Seton Hall, Villanova, Xavier, and Georgetown. Marquette just missed the cut. I think Providence is an NCAA tournament team, and I'll say this. You look at the rest. Of, oh, by the way, Creighton was originally in my top 25. They did lose a big man, so Creighton, by the way, is going to be, I think, one of the more fun teams to watch in college basketball. They are. They have a bunch of guards. They they shoot the ball like lights out. They they're probably a big guy short from competing really for a top fifteen, top twenty spot. But they're going to be a really, really, really fun team to watch. And so I bring this up because I think there are maybe seven NCAA tournament teams in the Big East, and then even teams eight and nine. DePaul has talent this year. Yes, DePaul, St. John's. Don't forget they made the tournament last year and bring back a bunch of guys. So the big story to me in college hoops this year. I think the ACC is down, 
You get past Louisville, there's a lot of question marks. Now, I think the top five are still pretty good. Duke is good. Obviously, I just mentioned Louisville. Virginia is going to figure it out because, I mean, come on, Tony Bennett. You know, Nick Coffey and I talked about Tony Bennett a minute ago. And Roy Williams in North Carolina. They're going to be okay because you have three Hall of Fame coaches plus Chris Mack. Those teams are going to figure it out. I also like NC State, who brings back basically everybody off last year's team. But you get past those teams, and there's a lot of question marks. Virginia Tech make, made the tournament with Buzz Williams last year. He's gone. Syracuse lost basically their entire team off of a tournament team last year. Um, you go down the list, there's a lot of question marks in the ACC. And I think this is a conference that we're so used to seven, eight, nine bids from this league. I think it might be a five, six bid league this year. Maybe Florida State gets in the mix. But you get past that top five, and there are a lot of question marks. By the way, you can say the same thing about the Big 12. Big 12, I just mentioned Kansas. Kansas is going to be good. Texas Tech, Chris Beard, I'll just say this really quick about Chris Beard. He has vaulted into the John Calipari, Coach K model of, I don't care who that guy loses, I totally trust him to figure it out. Don't forget that coming into last season, Texas Tech had made the Elite Eight in 2018, and they lost five of their top six scores and then made it to the Final Four last year. So Chris Beard, with his unique background, he's coached at D2, he's coached at JUCOs, he's used to flipping over a roster, he's used to moving parts, and it doesn't really phase him, and so I believe Texas Tech will be good, and then I'll tell you this, Baylor's going to be good too. They made the second round of the tournament last year, finished fourth in the Big 12, and they have six of their top nine guys back, plus two high uh, big-time transfers, and so I think those three teams are good, but you get past them, there's a lot of question marks. Kansas State basically lost their entire team from last year that made the tournament, that was a regular season conference champ. Oklahoma, Crazy stat on Oklahoma. They have two guys who are starters that are back. They have, and outside of them, they have no one that has played more than like 40 minutes their entire career at Oklahoma. So basically, Oklahoma's brand new. Oklahoma State, I think, is actually going to be pretty good, but they have Mike Boynton, unproven head coach, all that stuff. I think TCU is down. I think Iowa State is down. So I bring it up because. I think the ACC and the Big 12, we're used to, again, six, seven, eight bids from those leagues. I think it might be four, five, six, depending on the league. By the way, same with the Big 10. Michigan State, Maryland, we talked about them. Ohio State will be good. Illinois, I think, will be vastly improved. Purdue is going to be there because Purdue is always there. But you look at the programs that were successful last year, there's going to be a lot of drop-off. Iowa was a tournament team last year. They're not going to be a tournament team this year. Minnesota, tournament team last year. I don't think they're going to be a tournament team this year. Michigan, remember, John Beeline's in the NBA now. Juwan Howard, really well-respected in NBA circles as an assistant, but it's going to take time for him to prove that he has Michigan where they need to be. Michigan plays a really tough schedule. So the only reason I bring it up is because these conferences... I think they take a step back. I think the Big East steps up. I'm predicting right now seven bids for the Big East, maybe even eight, depending on how things go in the preseason or in the out-of-conference season, I should say. And I'll say really quick, the SEC, you guys know, I've been banging that drum for two years. The SEC, I just did my SEC preview today, and I'm telling you right now, I think there's a very clear top three with Kentucky, Florida, and LSU, those bad boys of college basketball, and then after that, I think just about anybody else can beat anybody on any given night. I had Eric Musselman on. Arkansas returns five of their top six scores. You think they're not going to be improved with a better head coach? Alabama returns a lot of interesting pieces. Auburn, yes, they lost the three key guys off that Final Four team, Bryce Brown, Jared Harper, Chumo Kiki, 
but they bring back a lot of really interesting guys. Tennessee brings back Jordan Bowden and Lamonte Turner, both guys who were at times Tennessee's best player last year. I know they had Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield. I'm telling you, those guys were as good as them. So I bring that up because I think the 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 ACC, Big Ten, and Big Twelve will be down, but I think the Big East is going to be way up, and I think the SEC could be back in contention for seven or eight bids into the NCAA tournament. So that's kind of my big takeaway from my. Um, my top 25, I would also add this, is that I think there's some really good teams outside of the power conferences this year. Gonzaga, they just had a big injury to their best player, Killian Tilly, but I still think they're an X factor. St. Mary's, who beat Gonzaga in the WCC tournament last year, I actually think they're really, really, really good. Utah State's good. Davidson, who made the tournament two years ago, lost to Kentucky. They basically bring back everybody from not only that season, but from last season when they won 24 games. So I think those are the things that stand out to me as we head into the college basketball season. Again, go check out my top 25, Aaron uh, underscore Torres on Twitter. All right, so a couple questions. College Hoops mailbag, and we are going to get to the first one, Wade. So Wade submitted a couple questions last time. Here's the one that he submits today. And it's, I think it's a really good one. Kentucky and Michigan State open the season as a potential 1-2 matchup. I think the most interesting part of that game will be the matchup of Cassius Winston and Ashton Hagens. I know everyone is pegging Winston as a National Player of the Year candidate, but I think there's a good chance Hagens will be able to lock him down defensively, especially since he's a disruptive type of defender. Seems like this is the perfect defensive style for playing a pass-first playmaking point guard like Cassius Winston. Is this the biggest, most interesting matchup storyline that you see going on early or something else? First of all, Wade, phenomenal question. You know more than half the people that are on on TV talking college basketball. I'm not going to name names, but you know more than half of them. Maybe more. Maybe more than half. I don't want to insult you. Maybe it is more than half, Wade. But it's a great question. What I'll say is this. I think it's a phenomenal question because it really does set up to something interesting. Michigan State, since the day last season ended, we've pegged them as the preseason number one team. And I think they should be the preseason number one team. I don't want to give too much away, but I think every poll you see is going to have Michigan State number one. I think a lot of people are going to have them winning the national championship. But what do they say about basketball? What do they say about sports? Styles make fights. And I do think the style could give Michigan State trouble. Now, Michigan State in that game is going to have advantages, specifically down low. John Calipari in his media availability uh, on Wednesday said that uh, he's still worried about kind of their size down low. Are they tough enough? All those kind of things. But on the flip side, on the perimeter, Kentucky's going to be really tough defensively. As Wade alluded to, Ashton Hagens is the reigning SEC Defensive Player of the Year. And if you watch that pro day with Kentucky, I am so impressed by that perimeter defense. Tyrese Maxey, their freshman Hagens, Emmanuel quickly, they're going to make things really, really, really hard for opposing point guards. And then the guys on the wing, Khalil Whitney and Keon Brooks, they're big and athletic and they can switch and they can defend guards too. So I think it's a fascinating question. I do think Michigan State's going to struggle to run their offense against a really, really good uh, Kentucky defensive front. And I think it's going to make for an interesting matchup. Um, I haven't sat down to really, really think about the matchup. I wouldn't be surprised if Kentucky wins that game. And that's not an insult to Michigan State. That's not to say that they're overrated. It's just to say that, like I said, styles make fights. I think that's going to be an interesting stylistic matchup going into that first game. All right, two more questions. First one from SD. What's good, AT? Long-time listener to the podcast. I have two college basketball questions for you. First one, 
Coming off a disappointing season mixed in with a lackluster roster in 2019-2020, if Indiana misses the NCAA tournament again for the third straight year, will Archie Miller be fired? So great question, SD. And what I'll tell you, the answer is no. And I'll tell you why. I want to confirm these numbers. I looked up these numbers in the offseason to make sure they're correct because I knew this question would come at some point with Indiana. Archie Miller's contract is insane. Okay, so I looked this up. So when he, when he got to Indiana, he signed a seven-year, $24 million contract. That seven-year deal runs through 2024, okay? And here's the catch, though. If he is fired before April 1st of 2022, so we're talking about two and a half years from now, he is owed the full you know, the full, everything on his contract, okay? So if he is fired before April 2022, he will be owed everything on his contract. I did the math, not a mathematician, don't claim to be Neil deGrasse Tyson or somebody smart, but if I did my math correct, that would mean that if Indiana fired him after this year, they would owe him about $14 million, okay? It could be done, but I just don't see it happening. I don't see Indiana being willing to pony up that much dough after three seasons, even with three NCAA tournament misses. I don't see Indiana being willing to do that. I just think it's too much money. I do think, say what you want about Archie Miller, I think the program, I don't want to say they're in a good place. I think they're in an interesting place coming into this year. I think that they could be better than people think. They were playing really well when their point guard, Rob Finnessy, was healthy last year. He kind of went down with a concussion. He wasn't really the same. The team started losing, and they were never able to get it going again last year. So him being healthy. Jerome Hunter, people forget this. Jerome Hunter was actually the second highest ranked recruit in last year's class behind Romeo Langford. He missed all of last year with an injury. And Archie Miller said that he was the most versatile piece that they had last year. And I think they really could have used him. And so he's back this year. Now, how, how is he going to be after missing a full year of basketball? I don't know. But he's a big piece that they didn't have last year. So you have a healthy Rob Finnessy. You have Jerome Hunter. You have some of the other guys coming back. Obviously, um, you know, Al Durham is a guy that, listen, he was up and down last year, but whatever. Devontae Green is the guy that everyone's saying needs to step up. I don't hate the pieces for Indiana. But I think independent of that, and by the way, I think Indiana may be a bubble team. I really do. I really think the Big Ten is down. I think Indiana's probably got a little bit more talent than people realize. And so because of that, I think they could mess around and make the tournament. But if even if they don't, Archie Miller is not going to get fired this year. I would argue there's actually a very good chance that Archie Miller doesn't get fired next year because if my math is correct on that one, they would still owe him in the ballpark of $10 million if he's fired after next season. So I think he's 100% safe this year because, again, we're talking about $14 million. We're only talking about year three. Look, this isn't year five. This isn't year six. This is year three. And so if it all falls apart, if they finish in last place in the Big Ten, if they go 10-22, and 4-16 and 16 in the Big Ten, then yes, he will get fired. But I think as long as the bottom doesn't fall out, as long as there's positive signs, Archie Miller is safe for this this year. And then I'll be honest, I think he's probably relatively safe for next season as well. Obviously, if he missed four straight tournaments, he could be in big trouble. But 
like I said, he's owed money through 2024, and if he's fired before April 1st of 2022, he is owed his entire contract. So again, if he was fired this year, he would be owed about $14 million. If he's fired next year, he'd be owed about $11 million. And I just don't see at least this spring, April 2020, it's not happening. Maybe April 2021, even then he might be safe. Second question from SD. And again, if you want to send in your questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. You guys, these questions are awesome. SD actually sent these questions in a while ago, and I'm just now getting to them. Uh, SD says, with new sanctions from the NCAA, as well as Utah missing the tournament for three straight years, does Larry Kristoviak have to make the 2020 tournament to keep his job? I ask because the majority of Utah's roster is filled with underclassmen. I can't see them cracking the top of the Pac-12. So to answer the back end of that, you're 100% right from SD Steve. Steve, you're 100% right. Pac-12, I think, is actually pretty decent this year. I think the top six or seven could all make the tournament. I don't know if they all will, but I, I mentioned it on last Thursday's show, but Arizona, Oregon, Colorado, UCLA, USC, Washington, I, I think all those teams could make the tournament this year. Oregon State has the best team that they've had in a very long time. And so Utah isn't going to finish in the top half of the Pac-12. They, they're certainly not going to finish in the top four, top three, top two. I don't know about Larry Kostowiak because obviously there are NCA sanctions or there's, there's NCA problems like you referenced, SD. I think the big question becomes this is that is there some kind of clause in his contract that that are these NCA rules violations enough for them to fire him with cause because I looked up his contract and that guy you talk about somebody somebody whoever Larry Kristoviak's agent is for people who don't know Larry Kristoviak is the head coach at the University of Utah they made three straight NCA tournaments in 2014 2015 and 2016 he gets a massive extension he's making like over $3 million a year. He was actually one of the 10 highest paid coaches, not last season, but the season before. Now a bunch of guys got raises. Rick Barnes got a raise. Mick Cronin got a raise, all that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But Larry Kristoviak is making like three-plus million a year. So what I do think will happen is he's not going to finish in the top half this year. But again, we're talking about if they can't fire him with cause, we're talking about something crazy like, 11, 12 million that he would be owed. So I would have to see his contract. It's hard to get good details on his contract. I would think he's safe this year. I would think next year he's for sure on the hot seat and probably on the way out. By the way, I'll say this too. With, as far as the hot seat's concerned, I think the interesting schools to watch, Shaka Smart, Texas, is the obvious one. Um, I don't think he's going to make the tournament because Shaka's just a disaster. I think he'll be gone, and then I think the big question is, uh, is is Texas willing to pony up the tens of millions of dollars it will take to get Chris Beard? Because Chris Beard has a $6 million buyout. Obviously, he's making like four or five at Texas uh, Tech. So are you going to be willing to pay all of that money to get Tex, uh, Chris Beard out of the contract, and then would he even be interested in leaving Lubbock? Uh, other ones, Georgia Tech, we talked about with Josh Pastner. Um, I think they'll be able to fire him with cause, and because of that, I think that's an interesting one. Wake Forest, uh, Danny Manning should be gone. They couldn't afford to buy him out last year. I don't think they'll be able to keep him much longer. There's some other ones. We'll get into that as time goes on, but all right. I think that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank Nick Coffey. Uh, Nick's the man. He knows it. I truly appreciate him coming on. Uh, again, if you want to see, first of all, if you want to see my college football picks for the weekend, 
AaronTorresOnline.com. You can also find him on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. But really, I just want to thank you guys like I always do. I genuinely appreciate your guys' support. I genuinely appreciate your guys' interest. I appreciate your guys' feedback. I appreciate everything that you guys do to make this show what it is. So thank you again to Nick Coffey. Again, make sure you subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify. Rate and review the show. Thank you to all of you who have done that. Also, the Instagram account, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Also, do another college mailbag soon. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Get those questions in. That is all for today. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig out there in Australia. Shout out to Richard Sherman, who had a busy week besides coming after me on social media. Yeah, you got you got your own stuff to worry about, Richard Sherman. You think about that before you say mean things about Baker Mayfield or AT. Talk about karma. It's coming back to you, Richard Sherman. That's it. AT's out. Have a great weekend. I will be back on Monday.